Hi, Peter Bregman here. Before we get into this episode, I want to let you know that registration for a very special program, the Bregman Leadership Intensive, is now open. It's unlike any leadership program you've been to before. We don't talk about leadership in the intensive. We actually engage in experiences that bring out the best of who you can be as a leader. We uncover blind spots that you may have, and in it, you will learn how to get around those blind spots in order to remove the obstacles that prevent you from contributing your maximum potential. To apply and see if you're the right fit, visit bregmanpartners.com forward slash leadership. And you can learn more about the intensive there. We only have 20 spots open and we're filling up. So don't hesitate to apply now. That's bregmanpartners.com forward slash leadership to apply for the intensive today. That's it for now. Enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. I'm Peter Bregman, and I believe that the best leaders don't try to do it alone. As the CEO of Bregman Partners, my mission for over 30 years and the mission of this podcast is to help successful people like you close your leadership gaps, grow as leaders, and inspire your team, inspire all the people around you to get great results. This is a different kind of podcast episode today. Thank you so much for joining us. This is a Q&A episode. Uh, I've never done it before, but we sent a call out for questions, and we have a bunch here that I'm going to answer. Uh, it's exciting for me. We're celebrating over 150 episodes that I've done, over a million downloads, and uh, I want to try to answer your questions as directly as I possibly can. So we tried to pick some questions that were representative of the whole and and representative of a number of, of different questioners who were sort of coming at something from the sort of similar, slightly different angles, but getting to the same point. Uh, here's the first question, and it's from Maureen. Uh, I'm looking at retirement, and I'm interested in planning for my successor. How can I leave the team a leader from within that will keep things moving forward and hopefully be better than me? How can I make sure leaders are developing and transferring knowledge and skills? So succession planning is super critical, and I deal with it a lot with the clients that I coach who are senior leaders in organizations and trying to think about how to build out uh, the organization for the future. And here's one of the main points, which is succession planning. There's a skill to it, but there's also an emotional piece to it, which is that you're you're leaving something you've built up or worked on or developed, certainly, to, in someone else's hands. And there's a letting go of control. So this is one of the most important things I want to just say about succession planning, which is the person after you, Maureen, is going to do things differently. So succession is not delegation. That's a distinction that we sort of understand conceptually but miss in action often, that it's passing on something to someone else. But the future of the organization is not actually your legacy. The past up until the present, up until right now, that is your legacy. But the future belongs to your successor. And so developing... Uh, a successor, and then transferring the company or the organization or the future to that person are two different things. And it's not just skills and knowledge, it's really leadership. So preparing your successor is important. Let's talk about that. You want to prepare them to think on their own, to use their own judgment. Your job is to pass them a well-run organization of people who believe in them as a leader, which means developing their leadership, 
and their emotional courage and their ability to have hard conversations and take smart risks and inspire others from a place of heart and mind. Uh, also, you, you can't be sure or make sure of anything. In your question, you say, uh, how can I make sure leaders are developing and transferring knowledge and skills? And, and I think, you know, this is part of what I mean by letting go, which is we could do our best to create a foundation, but we can't make sure of any of it. They, they, you know, I think of Alan Mulally, who was incredibly successful at Boeing and Ford. And I look at those two companies right now and I think, you know, their successors have struggled. And it's, it was his job to bring the organization up to the point where it was and to help the next people prepare, and then he really needs to step out. And, and that's super hard to do. So I know you probably know that, but language has an important influence on your state of mind. So it's worth pointing out the, this idea of you can't make sure of anything, but you can stack the deck in their favor. You can give them the skills to stand on their own. And this is not so different from parenting. The less you control now, the more you give them the opportunity to make mistakes and learn from their mistakes on their own, the better prepared they'll be. So, you know, when I think of the leadership intensive that we run, we create an environment in which perceived risk is high, but the actual risk is low. I've written a couple of articles about this recently. And that's how people learn safely. So let people make decisions where the stakes may feel high, but in actuality, they're lower. Maybe dealing with an irate client, for example, that feels very, very tense. But if they're already irate, you know, they might continue to be irate, but then they're just meeting the bar they already have. And, and this person has the ability to make them less irate. It feels like it's a high-pressured situation. It's actually a little less high-pressured than you would think. And you're able to always come in uh, if you need to, although I would do my best to not rescue them uh, if you can help it. The important thing is to help them stand on their own and coach them rather than delegate or tell them what to do. Coaching is the skill to help them get there. Thanks for that question, Maureen. Ellen asked a question, how can I quickly listen, understand, and think deeply about difficult content in a short time and make clear decisions while under pressure from multiple projects? Well, if you're looking for speed, Ellen, what you need is a process that you follow routinely. Give yourself a framework for what you're looking for, what you want to get out of the reading, how you're going to make a decision, reading something, what information are you looking for, what will help you drive to that decision. Identify the most important elements of a decision. Most decisions are basically ROI calculations, return on investments. So always start with the outcome. What are you going for? And then ask yourself, what needs to happen to get there? Given what you're reading, is it probable that you'll get there? Here's the important thing about decisions when you want to make them quickly. You have to realize that they are never, almost never, about certainty, that they're about probability. There's a percent chance that your decision will work out to achieve the objective you're going for. So look at what you're reading for evidence in one direction and the other, and then make a bet. And finally, you need courage, the willingness to move forward without knowing for sure that it's going to work out. This is actually true, Maureen, for your question, too. The willingness, the courage to move forward with your succession without knowing for sure if it's going to work out. Maybe you have a 54% versus a 46% chance of the decision being successful and, and happen over, over time the way you want it to turn out. And that's great. But it means that you need to cope with failure 46% of the time. 
And that takes courage. It takes emotional courage to say, I'm taking a risk and it's not always going to work out. Uh, I did a podcast with Annie Duke, uh, who wrote the book Thinking in Bets. And it's a great podcast. And I, I think her thoughts are really excellent on this. And it's, it's worth listening to. So, you know, if you really want to move quickly, you have to allow yourself for the possibility that things aren't going to work out exactly the way you want them to work out. And that's okay, too. So now, uh, Eli asked a question. I'm a VP of business development, and the biggest challenge I face is how much time to portion out to each of my projects. Now that I think about it, choosing what to read and listen to has become a huge challenge, too. How can I better prioritize my time? Eli, this is tough, and I'm going to use myself as an example. If you look at the, the if you're watching this on video, you can see the window outside of me. It's dark outside. So, um, I had a full day of work today, and I worked on a ton of smaller stuff instead of the more important stuff. I'm recording this podcast right now. It's 11:15 p.m. Right? This was really the thing I should have recorded at 9 a.m. So sometimes that's just what happens. I wrote a book on managing time, right? And it's good, by the way. And yet I'm here at 11.15 at night recording a podcast that should have been recorded at 9 a.m. And what I want to say is don't be too hard on yourself. That, you know, sometimes that's okay. For me, I had an incredibly busy and challenging week. And I think I just needed to work on small administrative stuff this morning. Uh, and, and then finally get to this, which felt steep and big because... I, you know, I've done over 150 podcasts, but I've done no Q&A podcast before. So just talking to you all into a camera, into a mic is, is different for me. It's a little weird. It was harder. And so I had to get over the hump of procrastination to get there. So the first thing I just want to say is that's okay. Don't be too hard on yourself. That's the reality of doing things that are sometimes different and high priority. Now, um, all that said, here are a few things to think about. If you have work that you need to get other people to work on, then do that work first so that you don't end up giving them their piece of it at 6 p.m. and then asking them to work late at night. Also, Eli, you said that you're in business development. So you've got three top priorities from my perspective, bringing in clients, making sure your clients are well taken care of, and that's really a delegation issue probably, uh, and developing the people around you to bring in clients. So when I look at my day, I would filter it through those things. What do I have that's bringing in clients? What do I have that's developing other people to bring in clients? And what do I have to make sure that my clients are being served well in a way that I'm proud of? And other things you might want to cordon off to less, less prioritized time. In terms of what to read and listen to, ask yourself, what's the outcome that you're going for? Are you wanting to learn things? Are you wanting to laugh? Are you wanting to escape? Uh, you know, I, I read a lot just to keep up with my kids who are reading so I can talk with them about it. And I prioritize that. So I make sure I'm always reading some of the books that they're reading so I can have conversations with them. So ask yourself the question of what you're after and then make a decision about what to read or what to listen to based on that. And that should guide you. Thanks for that question, Eli. Brendan asks a question. I have been working in my field for 15 years, including working in many positions of leadership, management, and training other leaders, and I'm very passionate about it. I have a vision for how to transform my industry, but those at the top of the industry are not interested in change and actively resist what seems to be a much better way to do business. In a situation like that, how does one break through? I love this question. So here's my question to you. What kinds of risks are you willing to take, Brendan? In other words, how publicly can you go out with your vision? Can you speak about it? Can you write about it? And to whom? 
Can you find some allies who have power, some people in the industry who want to transform it also, or even ones who don't have power that you can collaborate with? And can you try and experiment a pilot, take your ideas and test them, maybe in a small way? Remember what I talked that we do in the leadership intensive, a high perceived risk, low actual risk. So it may feel like a high perceived risk for you to test your ideas at all, but try to do it in a place where the actual risk isn't huge in a small way, but a way that can garner you some attention. And then maybe write about that or do it jointly with someone who has a power network that can get your vision some attention. Evangelize in a way that people may find it hard to ignore. And, you know, like in one of my answers to one of the previous questions, test your idea in a way where the actual risk is lower than the perceived risk. So take a chance to talk about something that you think other people may not believe in and do it convincingly. Ask them afterwards how it went. Ask them how you could have spoken about it in a way that would be more persuasive. You know, we do this fun thing, too, uh, at the Leadership Intensive, something that we, we might be changing it this year, but something that we call Take a Risk Night, where we ask people to stand up in front of everyone and take something that feels like a risk to them. And a lot of people share things that feel edgy to them or, or a little risky. That's a great, you could do that practice anywhere to gather some people and, and take a risk to share something that you're not sure will be accepted or will be received as well as you want it to be. And that's part of the skill of evangelizing about something you're passionate about, transforming your industry to people who may not be so open to it. But especially from an influence perspective, try not to do it alone if you can help it. Because the more people you have there with you doing it, the more comfortable you'll be and the more comfortable other people will be in joining you. And now let's go to Ratma. I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly, Ratma. How do I handle long-term employees who may have organizational memory but are otherwise toxic and unproductive? So I said the time management one was tough, but this is really tough. This is a really hard one. And yet I see it a lot, which is one of the reasons why I picked this question. So Ratma, there's a couple of things that you can do. The first thing I would suggest you do is understand why they're toxic and unproductive. It might be their experience of change or they're feeling less relevant or something that's bothering me. It's probably tough for them. And empathy is important. And it's important for you to be able to engage with them empathically. And it's important for them to feel your empathy. So already that makes a big difference to your experience of them and their experience of you and the work that they're doing. The next thing I would do is have a straight up conversation with them about how important they are to the organization, right? You've said that because they hold important organizational memory and how difficult their behavior is. So you're not blowing smoke here. You're being honest. I'm, you're, you're, you're I'm asking you to repeat to them what you repeated in the question, Ratma, right? Which is you have really important organizational memory. You're really important for the organization and your behavior is really toxic and unproductive and very difficult to work with. So, and then tell them what you need from them and ask them if they can do it. And maybe ask them what they need from you in order to do it, right? And, and do it in a way that they can share what's honest for them and what's true for them. And that you want to ask them to share what they know with other people, right? So here's what you might be thinking. You might be thinking that's risky. If you get real with them, they might just walk and they'll take their knowledge with them. And here's what's true. That's true, right? So it's true that they might leave, but it's also true, or at least it's a very high probability that if the employee's 
leave like that, like if they're willing to leave based on a conversation like that, then they most probably would never have shared the knowledge anyway. And that's the most likely scenario. And so keeping them on board bitter and unproductive will only make it harder for others to learn what they need to learn. But this is your best shot at getting them to share their knowledge and maybe even become more productive and less toxic. And worse comes to the worst, if they leave, I've seen this a million times, somehow we all manage to get the information we need in order to keep going. So I've seen really critical people leave and somehow the organization continues on. So don't be afraid of losing them so much so that you can't have a real conversation with them. Instead, have that real conversation with them and give them an opportunity to contribute or give them an opportunity to leave professionally and, and with, you know, with grace and dignity and help them to do that. And you got to start there by, by being empathic with them and then be direct and honest with them and let them make a choice. So those are the questions that I had selected and, and the answers. I hope that you have enjoyed this episode. I'd love to know what you think of it. Uh, and I'm very happy to receive feedback. Uh, you can send me feedback as an email and, uh, and let me know what you think and, and let me know what I could do to get better at all this stuff because, you know, this is new for me and I don't know entirely how I feel about it. Uh, just talking into the camera directly without having a guest, but would love to get your perspective. Thanks again for getting us to a million downloads. Uh, I'm really excited about that. And thanks again for listening to the Bregman Leadership Podcast. And I look forward to seeing you or talking to you again soon. Hi, Peter Bregman here again. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I want to remind you at the close that we are looking through applications now for the Bregman Leadership Intensive. I would love one of those applications to be you. Please go to the URL bregmanpartners.com forward slash leadership to learn more and apply for the intensive. It will really develop in an unimaginable way your emotional courage and impact your leadership and your life. Again, we cap it at 20 people, so don't hesitate to apply now. Hope you enjoyed this episode, and I look forward to speaking to you again next week.